Commies, Cosmic Cubes and Child Labour Laws, welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast where a comic book fan and a movies fan re-watch the MCU Marvel movies and compare them to the original quirky comics that inspired them decades and decades ago. I am Rob Holden, I've been reading comic books and Marvel comics for 30 years and I'm joined by Mr. Will Preston. Hello, hello, hello. You should then say how long you've been watching Marvel movies for. I mean, I know it won't sound very impressive. <laughs> well, I've been watching Marvel movies for quite some time. Uh, bit of Since big... 2008, presumably. What's well, the thing? It's 2008, if you're counting MCU. But before that, I have, uh, I have engaged in a, in a Spider-Man or two. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're on episode five now of this podcast. And we are seeing the downloads come through, which is great. Um, so much love for the first episode, and we had some great feedback on the Thor episode uh, just last week, which has been loads of fun to see that. And we've got, we have got, ladies and gentlemen, we know you're out there because you're sending us your messages, and we've got some uh, feedback, some emails, and some uh, messages to read out, which is a hell of a lot of fun. But this week's episode, episode five, where we delve through, we're racing through phase one of uh, the MCU. And we've got Captain America, the first Avenger, as we get ever so close to the the combination of all the characters in the Avengers movie coming up uh, not too long now. We're we're really close to it, which is. Are you getting excited? Are you feeling like we're we're drawing we're drawing towards a pivotal moment here? Yeah, I, I, in fact, one of the first things I thought when we started this podcast up was, great, I'll get to watch the Avengers again because I bloody love the Avengers. <laughs> Yeah, it's a hell of a lot of fun to uh, to delve into these things. Yeah. And it's been fun to uh, re-explore. And it's been fun for me to sit down and put my thoughts together and really think, why is this character enduring, endures? Why do they connect over the decades? As much as I'm sure it is fun for you to to kind of reanalyze like what what really made this movie so awesome that it that it connected in terms of all over the world and made billions and billions of dollars. Um, it's a fun it's a fun old podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We're really excited. Ladies and gentlemen, you can see that we're both old comics because we keep saying things like ladies and gentlemen instead of, you know, listener. Or what they say in the YouTube world, when you say, hey, hey guys. guys. <laughs> yeah, hey guys. Marvel versus Marvel here. <laughs> Hi, remember to click that subscribe button. Now that's the entire video is just telling him to click the bloody subscribe button. <laughs> Hey, if you're out there, please do uh, subscribe. It really helps us get noticed by iTunes, um, which is great for us to get noticed by other people who potentially want to become listeners. So that would be really helpful. Well, we've done it with everyone so far. I'm always really interested. I- I- I'm To explain to uh, first-time listeners, not only have I been reading comic books for 30-plus years, but I was taught to read with, with Marvel Comics. My parents photocopied comic books that I, I, I love to look at and they use tipex to white out the word balloons and then they wrote in simple things like seize earth dog and that's how I was taught to read. These characters have been with me since I was three, four, really really early on. So it's fascinating for me to think of what, what a muggle like you will how they perceive someone like Captain America. Um, so what, what was your, before this movie came out what was your prior knowledge of of Captain America? Was there any? 
Capt- Captain America, my prior knowledge was, it was almost like an archetypical superhero. Whenever I saw, I think I, I might have seen the odd image, the odd mention of the Captain America comics back in the day. And, and I just thought it was, at first it was like a joke. Like, you know, like like the most... Uh, <laughs> but yeah, because think of the most jingoistic, uh, lowest common denominator superhero you can think of made in America. Ah, we'll call him a military name plus the country's name, Captain America. So that that sounds to me because that's quite like an analytical, like you know how you. you it sounds like you were kind of a, t- a teenager, presumably, when you first came across it. Because well, that's not something that goes through your head when you're like you know seven. Well, I did go through my head when I, at seven. I, did, I, I I thought, oh, it's just another superhero. Uh, what's his power? America. That's uh, <laughs> America's a thing. Well, it's barbecuing and. Oh. Uh, Suppressing smaller nations. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, some of the Marvel uh, heroes uh, potentially do that, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I had little, uh, little in the way of exposure to Captain America. Uh, I just, I just saw him as he just looked like a typical superhero to me. There was nothing that stood out about him apart from the fact, <laughs> the ridiculousness of calling a superhero Captain America. Well, that kind of makes sense because um, he is what we've been looking at so far with the Marvel Universe up to this point is the Marvel Universe, which we say starts with Fantastic Four issue one in the 60s. Yeah. Well, now we not only do we encounter our first hero not created by Stan Lee, but we we encounter a character that predates the Marvel Universe. Oh, go on. So... When we say the Marvel Universe starts in the sixties, yeah, they it they it did. The Marvel Age starts with Fantastic Four, yeah. But back in the forties, there was a comic book company called Timely Comics, which would become Marvel Comics by the time they get to the sixties. Mm. It was called different things over the years: Timely Publishing in the forties, Atlas Comics in the fifties, and then Marvel by the time you get to the sixties. And it's all the same. Publisher, uh, Marty, Marty Goodman, and it's all the, a lot of the same writers and artists bouncing around. Um, and Captain America is a 1940s timely comics character. So the same year Superman debuts. I remember we talked, um, I think way back in Iron Man, we talked about how the Marvel Universe shatters the idea of what superheroes are. Because yeah. they're all very pre-war, stoic you know, I am a hero kind of things. And Marvel comes along with this wacky bunch of guilt-ridden science dweebs <laughs> who all accidentally turn themselves into freaks and monsters or they've been born cursed or, you know, and it's completely different. Well, Captain America is the first batch. He is a pre-war hero. Yep. Um, even though... So, Timely Comics, the same year that Superman and Batman come out, they bring out their own heroes... Um, the Human Torch, uh, not the one we know from the Fantastic Four, another one. Um, and Namor the Submariner, who's, uh, I mean, in in a in a in a short sentence, he's Marvel's Aquaman. Um, <laughs> and and that they they are very well, slightly odd. They're not not exactly traditional superheroes, but yeah. they're more in that vein. And and December nineteen forty, a full year before Pearl Harbor. Uh, and before the Americans joined the war, these Joe Simon and and Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby's early on in his career. Yeah, 
um, which we see flourish in the 60s. Um, two Jewish Americans with a strong dislike for the Nazis create Captain America. Right, Lots of patriotic characters are bouncing around at the time. Yeah. But... And and this is they were creating it with that intent, but Captain America issue one has a front cover depicting this red, white, and blue superhero punching Hitler in the face. Yay! And can you can you can you Google right now Captain America issue one? Almost, um, almost that, did, yeah, almost did that, that anyway. Will pop up straight away, and it's it's such a bombastic, striking image. Let's have a look at this. Let's have a look. No, I think uh, a co- yeah. comedian friend of mine used something similar for their uh, Edinburgh show. Oh, it's a huge hit. That comes out. That is a huge hit. It, it, America's not in the war yet. That sells one million copies in in, in 1940. Bloody it outsells. Uh, it's more copies than Time Magazine would sell. You know, uh, wow. on, in their in their circulation, and they got. They were not... I mean, as well as it being popular, it was deeply unpopular. They got hate mail. They got death threats. This is... A lot of America did not want to go to war. Yeah, there was a very... Nothing... Isolationist view at the time, wasn't there? Like, this is your problem, not ours! Yeah. There there were angry, threatening protesters outside the offices. Yeah. The mayor of New York had to organise for Timely to have police protection. Um, but the comic was still really popular. It continued to sell like, roughly a million copies a month. It was their biggest, uh, biggest hit. And then you know Pearl Harbor happens. Public sentiment changes. The war is is, is America enters the war, and um, the U.S. military become like the biggest purchasers of Captain America. <laughs> they, they they buy tons of the stuff. Nearly fifty percent of all. Training and serving military men read Captain America. That's nearly half. Um, so it, it's not really, me. it's a really, yeah, it's 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 huge and it's a massive propaganda tool. Yeah. Um, Stanley gets some of his first published work with it when he's really young, because uh, he's Marty Goodman's. He's related to Marty Goodman, the publisher, and he kind of forces uh, Jack Kirby and uh, Joe Simon to use this punk kid. To do some stuff, and then the war ended. Sales of the comic books plummet. Um, Cap becomes a teacher who fights common criminals instead of fighting a war. And uh, sales just so bad no. that it gets cancelled. In the fifties, they try and recapture the war spirit by having Captain America and Bucky go after communist spies, <laughs> and the title, the, the comic becomes Captain America Commie Smasher. But that. <laughs> That lasted just three issues before it gets uh, it gets cancelled. Um, so that's yeah, that's where we are with uh, Captain America in the forties, and that's where you were before the movie came out. And we're going to get to the deep dive uh, in just a minute, but we do want to remind everyone that you can get in touch with us here, both me and Will. We want to know what you thought so far of the episodes. We want to know what your experience of the MCU is, and we really want to know. What are your first experiences of of Marvel comic characters? Like someone like me, it was the comic books straight off the bat. But I'm always, and we're always really interested to see, was it these movies that first exposed you to it? Or was it some of the other stuff that Marvel's done um, over the years? And we've had some great uh, emails and messages come through um, so far. 
Uh, Koki Falco has got, I think, a really unique childhood story. Thanks for uh, getting in touch, Koki. Uh, he grew up in South Africa. And uh, Koki says that we had a Spider-Man TV show in the 1980s called The Amazing Rabobi. Uh The show was all in the uh, Kaosu language. Wow. Which we couldn't speak. We only spoke, spoke English. But you could. the TV station would broadcast the English dialogue over the radio. So as kids, we raced to the TV. We turned the TV on. That we go get the radio from the kitchen, bring the radio in next to the TV, turn the sound off on the television, and then turn the radio on so you could hear the amazing Rabobi speak English. Oh, that is genius. I love that. I love that. That is a good life Isn't hack. that cool? Yeah, Thanks cool. for that, Koki. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I've got one here from uh, Joey Joe. He emailed to say, love the cast, but you guys missed a bit of movie trivia in the Iron Man 2 episode. And I'm talking a huge bit of trivia. At the expo, when Tony Stark saves a little kid in an Iron Man mask, that little kid is Peter Parker. Tom Holland and Kevin Feige have both confirmed this in interviews. We did talk about that, didn't we? Like, off air. Yeah, off air. But we weren't <laughs> sure whether to... Because as much as they... Yeah, thank you. Thank, well, thanks for listening, Joey Joe. Yeah, thanks, Joey Joe. But, but I don't know. If it's not in the movies, is it, is it real? Is it true? Did it happen? It's, is this like... Um, no, this is like uh, when... Uh, what's a J- J.K. Rowling goes, Oh, yes, those characters were definitely gay. Even though there's no evidence to say that they were gay in the original text. Yeah, either it happens or it doesn't happen. Uh, Ian Hewitt has an edible memory. Not the fun one, the other kind, the normal kind. Um, Ian Hewitt says, My earliest introduction to a Marvel character that I can remember were those Golden Wonder Spider-Man crisps from the 80s. Do you remember this, Will? I remember this big time. I I was only alive Uh, in the 80s for three years and... I barely remember Golden Wonder. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they came in my packed lunch when I was about four. I remember the actual <laughs> dining hall at school and where I was sat when I had a, when I first had a packet which had Spider-Man on the front. And it just was a really bizarre memory to maintain. But I, that's the kind of stuff that I think really like it does. It do, when it like I got into, I'm a, I'm a big wrestling fan, yeah. and I'm convinced. My earliest memories of wrestling are the toys and the stickers and the trading cards. Oh, I remember like the some toys. Of these things, yeah, yeah. Some of these things get to you, introduce you to them, whether it's a cartoon or something else. I remember the Hulk Hogan cartoon in the in my my, uh, my youth. Hulk Hogan's <laughs> rock and wrestling. Do you know who does the voice for Hulk Hogan in that? No, who does the voice? It's Ray Romano's brother on Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> so I thought I was a really tall police guy. I was convinced that they got Hulk Hogan to do his own voice. No way, brother. No. My payday wasn't good enough. No, 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 obviously. We also have another letter from uh, Lucian. Sorry, I say letter. It's all different. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think we get any letters. No, 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 no. Not unless I've been disinfected. Uh, Lucian got in touch to say, Mum and I used to love watching the X-Men cartoons. Rogue and Storm were my early gay icons. I remember an episode where Rogue fell in love and couldn't even kiss the guy because it could kill him. And he begged her to do it, but she wouldn't. I cried for days. Ah, I always feel that with Rogue. She's such a tragic character. It's she really is. Yeah. Really, I feel so sorry for her. 
we we get ton we've had tons of messages and the overwhelming majority when we say what was your introduction to the MC, or to, to Marvel sorry we get that X Men animated cartoon from the nineties so much it was a good cartoon um, it was a good cartoon to the point where we've started to put a little plan together haven't we a little plan yeah a little so plan. stay tuned stay yeah. tuned if you want to drop us a line uh, we really want to hear what your um, early memories have been introduced to the Marvel universe in whatever in whatever form video game like there used to be an arcade game when i went went to the when i went and swimming as a kid and and things like that toys or whatever please 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 drop us a line you can send an email to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com and when we say versus we're doing the whole world the whole word we're not we're not doing the vs it's not marvel vs marvel it's marvel versus marvel v-e-r-s-u-s at gmail dot com and uh, we really want to hear your your introduction to the marvel universe now i think without further ado it's time for a deep dive deep dive so uh will you've rewatched captain america the first avenger i have indeed why don't you take it away take it away so let's dive in deep So it starts in the present day. Scientists in the Arctic find an old aircraft in the snow. But we flash back to March 1942. In Norway, Nazi officer Johann Schmidt and his men steal a mysterious relic called the Tesseract, which possesses the strange strange powers, basically. <laughs> I I I I I basically went, basically and I, after you, after you come to it you go we we kind of know what these things are strange powers yeah it has it has strange powers so I like the opening the opening's really good uh, we they find the aircraft in the snow there's a blue light going around there's snow everywhere it feels like a combination of the thing and aliens right down to the snow and blue light I was loving it I was like yes aliens you're right it really does yeah i know i also spotted uh, another little um other movie reference when johann schmidt uh is to- is um <laughs> finds the tesseract in the tomb basically it's a it's, it's, it's a it's a church in norway and they open up the knight's tomb and and then they i think they they they, they find it's actually nearby he finds the tesseract and goes and the fuhrer digs for trinkets in the desert and I think it, yeah, that's a reference to Indiana Jones, isn't it? That's a that's like, so cool. I I, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I reacted big to that at the cinema because yeah. <laughs> you're right. It is just an it's a really cool little you know throwaway. It's not a throwaway line, but it's still it's just awesome. I have to say, I, I did like his accent in this, Johann Schmidt. But we'll get on Scully. To, sc- Scully. Well, Scully Red. Yeah. We'll, we'll get onto Scully Red uh, in a bit. In a bit. But uh, back to the story. So. In New York City, Steve Rogers wants to enlist and fight in the Second World War, but is rejected by the military because of his health. Basically, he's a weedy little weakling. But undeterred, <laughs> undeterred, Roger tries to enlist again, hiding his identity to try and sneak his way into the army. Wow. It's... I, I, I do find that funny in some films. Like, all I can think of is Mulan, even though I haven't seen it. It's like people trying to sneak into the army. Why? No one sneaks into the army anymore. <laughs> well, that, yeah, but that's the whole, that's the whole point. That was, that was like, what, what was this huge propaganda selling tool? Yeah. That, um, the idea that this, you know, anyone who was, uh, dodging the draft, um, 
is uh, yeah it is is, um, is it should be shamed for it, you know. It, I mean, I mean, the propaganda tool works well. I, I don't know how it was in that much how it was in this country because I, I, I've been consumed by bloody American films. I mean, I, I'm sure we had a similar amount of shame over here if you didn't join the army back in the 40s and the 30s. There's a great sitcom called Chickens, um, hmm. which is set during a rural town during the war with three guys who have dodged the draft. Oh, that sounds um, brilliant! It's really, it's really funny. Yeah, it's a modern, it's a modern one. It's got a couple of the guys from the Inbetweeners in it. Oh, okay. I highly, highly recommend watching it. Okay, okay. I might, I might get mine for that on the list uh, amongst other things I'm watching. Uh, I like this this bit. Uh, there's a scene where they go to like it's not the World's Fair, is it? Is it the is, is it the World's Fair? It's, it's something like that. Yeah. It is something like the World's Fair, and you get to see all the stuff. It looks amazing. It do, it basically looks like the Stark Expo, but with jazz yeah. music. <laughs> Which, which we've just had, right? Yeah, we have just. This had, is the yeah. net. This is the no. It's not the next film on. We had Thor, but it's relatively close in terms of that. Yeah, and of course, and of course, um, there was reference to um, Howard Stark's kind of uh, expos and things. There was, in fact, and his involvement in the world fairs. So it's a lot of nice continuity. Oh. Speaking of which, one of the in the background, one of the exhibits. Yeah, we talked about. Um, the two of the two of the very early first superheroes are the Human Torch and the Submariner. The Human Torch, the nineteen forties timely comics Human Torch, is basically an an android, a perfectly human looking and, and feeling and speaking android mm. that bursts into flames when he's exposed to oxygen. Um <laughs> And eventually gets works out how to control his power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he he was he's unveiled to begin with in the comic books. He's a man in a glass jar, oh. a big giant glass jar like a butterfly. And the scientist who creates him takes the glass jar off and he bursts into flames. And it's a you know a really cool visual in the comic book. He, the, the Human Torch is there in a glass jar in the background of the expo. That is that that is a nice uh, re- little reference. Also, I agree. It's pretty cool. That is cool. I know we're mentioning Howard Stark, but Howard Stark—that was such a good cameo there. That was such a nice cameo because you're thinking, "Oh, far cry from jet jetpacking through the bloody roof with Can Can Girls." And, and <laughs> it's, it's a bit like of its time when he just gives him a full kiss on the lips and is like, "Hey, hey, hey I'm Howard Stark. Gonna see you later in the hotel, honey." And then and then he shows off that floating car that doesn't work, and he said, "Hey, the technology is almost there." And it's like, "Oh, I see. Your son's gonna carry the torch." That floating car is um, yeah. was one of the coolest uh, coolest inventions that Nick Fury had in the '60s when he was working for Shield. <laughs> of course, um, he had a flying so car. That- yeah, and it just it's it's like a it's just a Corvette that flies. That's it's a, awesome though. That's the thing. Is it a flying car or is it a plane that looks like a car? <laughs> that's the- it's a bit like the Back to the Future thing. If you're gonna yeah. make if you're gonna make a time machine, you do it with some style. It with it's style. the same with a flying car. You don't want a Peugeot four hundred five that flies, do you? Oh, no, that'd be funny to see a flying car if it was like a hatchback. Because, you know, you you can fit your shopping in there and fly. (laughs) Okay, so we've talked about him. There's no beating around the bush. Rob, what can you tell us about Steve Rogers? Well, like like we we said with kind of Thor, um, we we do need to uh, make sure that we we, we delve out, dish out the info in the right order. Yeah. Because there's a lot to come with with this character. Um, He's very similar. Steve Rogers is, is perhaps the one that is most similar from the comic books to the movies. Um, 
the there's some slightly odd little quirks like in the 40 of course because it was created in the 40s there are some uh, odd little quirks like he has a secret identity during the war okay he's bumbling private rogers on <laughs> camp who nips into his tent and secretly turns into captain america very clark kent like yeah, uh, yeah and that doesn't last ter- terribly long in the 40s they don't flesh out um his past or his background at all mm. There's a, there's a real intention uh, with with the character that it could be any American citizen under the mask. Joe and Jack make a real point of steering clear of any religion or, or background. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously he's white. <laughs> obviously, they're he's not white. <laughs> they're not that progressive. They're as yeah. progressive as you can be in the forties as a white person. Yeah. Um. In in the in the Marvel years, the sixties and beyond. Steve Rogers has been given a background that's very, very similar to Joe Simon and, and Jack Kirby. Um, second generation immigrant born into like abject poverty uh, in New York's Lower East Side. Real working class depression era background. Um, although he's um, Irish Irish immigrant family. So that's, that's um, the background they eventually give him. You know, he's, he's very clearly a propaganda device in the 40s. Yeah. It's... It's hard to consider those timely comics as part of the Marvel Universe, although they, they are. They are accepted as part of it. It's just they are so starkly different um, to what what the gang do in the 60s. He gets a lot more interesting when he comes out of the ice and the 60s are swinging, you know, and he struggles to cope with the modern world. But I think we'll... we'll touch on that when we get to winter soldier you make him sound like serious um, austin powers he's been frozen but instead of being frozen from the 60s he'd be frozen to the 60s <laughs> well that's what austin powers yeah that's where the idea comes from yeah 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 um and, and you can look at another um another british spy called adam adamant <laughs> who was kind of in the avengers mold uh and this adam adamant was like it's the black and white 60s kind of British Avengers style um, spy series mm. came out about uh, in, in in late mid to late sixties. Yeah. Um, so after Cap comes out of the ice, there's this uh, British program which has a like a dandy spy from the Elizabethan era Ooh, trapped in amber, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then uh, he what? gets chiselled out by some people digging out the London tube. Uh... And this. Elizabethan, this this you know gentleman spy of Queen Elizabeth's is suddenly in the swinging sixties, <laughs> kicking around with mini skirts and double decker buses. Um, was, which, jo- was John Hammond know, there? Was John Hammond there going welcome to very much sixty? Like yeah. <laughs> so, in the comic books, um, Steve becomes probably the the second most important character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I Second only to Spider-Man, who is really the heart and soul of that universe. But to all the other characters, the most important person is Captain America. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he doesn't just lead the Avengers. He leads all the heroes. In, in every crossover, all the heroes talk um, with reverence about Captain America. He's the hero's hero. Um, and his place in the Marvel Universe is really interesting. Unlike DC... Marvel is full of these broken people, these these really imperfect characters, like we said, cursed by fate to lead these weird lives and really struggling to 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 do what what they think is right. 
Spider-Man is forever or, or is constantly about his moral compass. The the X-Men is constantly about what is the morality of what we do with our our species and and where do we go and yeah. Hulk is about what's the morality of what I'm cursed with and Iron Man is the Cap is like slap he's the calm center point. He has this amazing Gary Cooper in high noon kind of sensibility. He just knows what's right. And yeah, it's tough and it's hard, but he he's the moral compass of of the 616 Marvel universe and all the other heroes know it. Like the amount of times he's used as in a guest appearance just to just to say Come on, you know what's right. Go and do it. <laughs> it's unreal. He like I have a one-page cameo just to tell Daredevil, you're doing the wrong thing. Go and do the right thing, and off he goes. Um, it, yeah, he is a basically a poster boy for for heroes. He's a, he's a justice man, justice man. Yeah, he 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 is the most. He, he's like a yeah. He's the prototypical kind of real in a, in a in a universe where these characters do have a moral compass, but they struggle with their own emotions and the idea of morality. Yeah. Which is there from this... I'm not saying DC don't in modern, sophisticated storytelling, but Marvel has it right from the get-go in the 60s. And Cap is this very interesting kind of like... he Almost because he's an older person, an older head on his, on his shoulders. There's a lot more to cover with, with, with him. You know, he has conflicts with the government and he has conflicts with the rest of the the superhero community, but those are best saved for, for Winter Soldier and, and Civil War, I think. I'll tell you, we've um, got so much to cover with that. I think Gary. I think Gary Cooper is a is a good. If we're gonna say, if we're gonna distill who who Captain America is, he's Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper. I've never seen High Noon. A lot, I've got it on DVD somewhere. Oh, it's fantastic. He's a lot less bombastic than a John Wayne. Oh, I'm not. I'm not into John Wayne films. I like my uh, Sergei Leone films. <laughs> oh, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Because I'm a big ponce, aren't I, Rob? Bloody hell. <laughs> 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 so anyway, back to the story. So Steve has a passionate conversation with his friend Bucky about why he wants to enlist and fight in the war. Steve is overheard by Dr. Erskine, a scientist who allows Rogers to enlist in his super soldier experiment. Now, what can you tell us about uh, Dr. Erskine? Or indeed, Colonel Phillips who turns up. Well, the first thing that I notice is that I have been constantly pronouncing in my head his name wrong for 30 odd years. I and I do this with mm. so many of these characters. I'll do it later on with Zola. I always mix up his name. Um but I've been <laughs> pronouncing in my you don't say these names out loud. No, no. Rarely on a date do I tell girls about <laughs> the bloke that created Captain America. But in my head it's it's uh, it's always been uh, Erskine. Uh, not No, wait. What is it? I said Ersk Ers- I said Ersk. Did I say Erskine? Like a Nox anyway. Uh, Erskine. Erskine? Uh, Erskine, I say Erskine, yeah, and I think it's Erskine anyway. Erskine. In the comics, mm. um, well, let's do Colonel Phillips first because he's a much smaller character. Yeah, um, he's he's only around for a few issues, and it is all in the forties. In the comics, it's it's Colonel Phillips that handpicks Steve for Project Rebirth, which is what it's called in the comics. Yeah, it's not it's not Erskine. Um, and Steve undergoes um, lots of this training. You you don't just get to be um, Captain America from having the experiment. Right? You actually need the training to go with it, right? Yeah. You don't yeah. get that muscle mass so suddenly. 
Yeah, well, no, you, you do, you do. But oh, okay. so, so, like, put. I mean, if I suddenly got muscles overnight, could I fight a war? No, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to have the training. So, yep. um, it's it's Colonel Phillips who oversees and handles his military training, and he goes through not just basic training, but he goes over like a a lot more of it to become like this elite soldier. Um, yes. And then Colonel Phillips is in charge of his early combat missions. Um, as well, and then he kind of that's that's it really. The, 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 you know, he's he's almost a Commissioner Gordon kind of role. Yeah, we go. You know, we've got a mission for you. You know, what which a plot often needs, and then you know that was that was kind of the end of it. Um, but Doctor um, Doctor Erskine or Erskine, uh, he he he's actually works for the Nazis and the Red Skull in the comics before defecting. Um. It's not. It's you know he didn't get out early enough. Okay, that makes sense because he did say about getting out of Germany. Yeah, yeah. In in the comic books, he's he's witnesses some them doing some horrible stuff, and he's like, I need to get out of Dodge, <laughs> and so uh, he he gets brought over to um, to America. And he's the first. He created the first human in the Marvel universe to be intentionally given powers. Yeah, and that kicks off a whole like decades of storytelling and plot points since his death scientists and villains and governments and secret agencies would spend decades trying to recreate his worth project rebirth which is what it's called in the comics is seen as the beginning of the next great arms race yeah that would the make nations- perfect sense yeah, nations and agencies would all have superpowered people instead of weapons. And Project Rebirth and his work would go through a series of changes within the military and the government and eventually mm. become the process that creates Wolverine. I, I know you're not a big fan of uh, the work. Of, I don't know who... who is, it, is it Garth Ennis? You're not a big fan of Garth right? Ennis? Yeah. Cause like, it depends. It, that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. I mean, the boys... Must have pinched oh, so much from it. Good lord! So much in terms of uh, fab- fabrication. Listen, if I have to talk about the boys on this podcast, I will quit. <laughs> I will quit. <laughs> There's not enough money in the world to get me to talk about that. Forget about that nonsense. Anyway, so Wolverine, as we know from the X Men movies, is created by something called Weapon X. Yep, Weapon X. But we retroactively discover that X is not an X; it's a ten. Ooh. And it's the tenth time they've tried it since Captain America. So that's how they so, tie it in with the X Men universe, because I know the X Men universe is sometimes a bit separated because of the bloody films. Um, no, not really. No, oh, okay. not the comp- there's no, there's no. I mean, it is, it is separate because they've just got too many characters. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have time for any other Marvel characters. But yeah, there was some neat little retconning that took place. I don't know. However long ago, that kind of said, well, if what 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 are they trying to create in the Marvel in the in the X Men side of things? Well, they're trying to create some soldiers with superpowers. Well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so, what if the X is actually a ten? And so that was a neat little neat little tie in. I swear they write it so they can wreck on it later. Like we won't give too much information and backstory because we might need to open up the access panel and fiddle with the wiring of the story to wreck on it. You might well be right. Yeah, fix it later. I, I think in ter- with terms of stuff like Marvel, in terms of comic books, it's like because you think about a novel, you think about a story, you think about no, that's gonna be stamped. That's 
That's that. That's that's cut off from everything else. It's isolated. That's nice. Let story. But with Marvel, everything's connected. So you need to always go back and retcon or connect things in a different way or have a twist that comes up that relates to something in the past. But the the, the other side of that, and we can't spend too long on this. But the other side of that Yay. is that DC has to keep rebooting their entire continuity with a crisis yeah. every five years, yeah. whereas Marvel just does little tweaks along the way, and you go, oh yeah. Cool. That that Not works. Everyone has to die and we restart the Big Bang again. <laughs> Calm down, DC. That's why I don't read DC comics so much. I I, I uh, yeah. But enough about that. Enough about that. Uh, I do back want to, to the forties. Back to the forties. I I will say though, when it comes to Doctor Erkine, Erkine, Doctor Erk Erk Erky Erky Erskine, Erskine, and Colonel Phillips. Come on. Stanley Tucci and Tommy Lee Jones again. What great casting! What a great casting is that! It, 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 the, 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 um, the, the, the approach the Marvel films have to this point is just incredible, isn't it? It's so good because they're not a financial powerhouse no. at this point at all by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, Iron Man did very well. And these films did well, and they made money, they didn't lose money. They were successes, but it's not like they're in the position they were being. After the Avengers, yeah, when they had made, you know, huge sums of cash. I mean, I mean it, it, it paid off. It paid off for me, and I, I love seeing Tommy Lee Jones uh, pop up in anything. There, there was a line that gets said at the end that just cracked me up, and only Tommy Lee Jones could deliver something like that. Like, I'm not kissing your boy. <laughs> that is great. But you know what? Before we before we kind of leave. Um, Erskine behind I do want to say there's a, a moment in this that's kind of rare it's something I feel that adds something from the movies that adds to the interpretation of the character fleshes something out a little bit hmm. which uh, I'm not saying this this sentiment was never expressed but if you just consider how many Captain America and, and Avengers comic books I've read over the years from all eras 60s 70s 80s and on through I've never seen this written or expressed or even alluded to. And it's not... It maybe is very apparent, but it was just a perfect, succinct way the writers sum things up. And it's Erskine um, is just comforting Steve before the project, before turning him into Captain America. And he says, why, why did you pick me? And he says, a weak man knows the value of strength. Mm. And that's... Honestly, so key to the character. Oh, totally. And when you talk about you talk about bullies, you talk about Germany stomping all over the world being this bully, and you know what what that's about. And again, it, it, that that is something that is never that should be in that should be like with great power comes great responsibility. That should be the line you always associate with Captain America. It's a really great line. Whoever wrote that and and had that in there is really cool. And I think it's really great when the movies can kind of add something to the character rather than just, you know, tell the story again or, or you know, change things for the worse. Oh, absolutely. That, that was a line I noticed. It's, it's just all about his character. It's just, it's just all about Captain America's character. He's not, he's not, he's not a power, power he's a powerhouse, but he isn't always a powerhouse. He's, he's got the mind of a, of a man who, who knows who, what it's like to be bullied. So it gives him strength. Well, it's, it's in, it's, as soon as he becomes a superhero and joins the Avengers, he's the least powerful guy again. <laughs> <laughs> So like he, I mean, compared to soldiers, yeah. But honestly, by the time he wakes up in the sixties, everyone, the 
15 year old Spider-Man's got more powers than him this is true you know and, and, and suddenly he's surrounded by you know there's powers cropping up left right and centre um, so it, it, he's not yeah yeah he, he is he is still Steve from the Bronx Steve from the Bronx Brooklyn uh, sorry not... that's oh, where, where from you say Richards Bro- Brooklyn not the Bronx Brooklyn yeah bro- I, I, I found that out very sadly that they are two different places anyway back to the story so, during testing and training, uh, we meet Agent Peggy Carter. Initially, Colonel Phillips doesn't believe that Steve is the right person for the project, but he changes his mind after seeing Rogers jump onto a grenade to save the rest of the platoon. That, sorry, <clears throat> the night before the treatment, uh, Erskine, Erksine, Erskine reveals to Rogers that the Nazis put Johann Schmidt through an imperfect version of the Super Soldier Project, but Schmidt suffered terrible side effects. So, Peggy Carter... His skull went red! His sk- he had red face! <laughs> his, his face... Boy, was his face red after that! <laughs> I can't help it. So, let's talk about Peggy Carter, boys. Well, yeah, she's really not very important. Yeah, it's really interesting how... Um, because they have... They have is it Hayley Atwell, who... Yep. I mean, I mean, va va voom, uh, but but also a tremendous actress, and they really um, do a lot with the character, don't they? She crops up in, in more movies, and she gets her own series, and that series that, with, that she's in, the, the Marvel TV series with Agent Carter, that's really good. Um, but uh, the comic book character is not that important. Um, she's not a part of the timely comics of the forties. Stan and Jack uh, introduce her. In the in the late sixties, when when um, sort of Captain America's he's remembering stories from the war. That was a thing they did. Um, right. and yeah, she, she's introduced as she's leading um, a cell of French resistance fighters, and she's like really bombastic. You see her charging at gunfire, and just she's a badass. <laughs> and then Cap, Cap falls for her because she's a badass. Um, and they have a bit of a love affair, but in the same story that she's introduced in. She gets caught in a bomb blast, gets amnesia, and is sent home not remembering who Captain America is or that she knows oh, him. Oh, that's so tragic. It's it. What do we know about Stan Lee? What is his bread and butter? Romance comics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stan, Lee, Stan Lee makes wow. romance comics and romance comics only. So he I knows like to how to play this game. <laughs> yeah. Excelsior. It's like, yeah, this is, this is good and everything, but oh, I need to break someone's heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah um, and then when Cap emerges from the ice in the 60s he starts working with a badass shield operative called Agent 13 hmm. Agent 13 turns out to be the younger sister of Peggy Carter so he's going after the whole family then yeah yeah. <laughs> and in, in, in the comics Sharon Carter is Agent 13 and she's Cap's major love interest. Peggy's a minor character. She she joins the Avengers support staff, which is like she's a receptionist kind of deal. And yeah. then she gets old and she she dies very wow. very recently, as in a couple of, a year or less ago. She's reappeared back from the dead, young, uh, with no explanation as to how that happened, and she's joined a group that have been helping Cap for years secretly since the 40s called the Sisters of Liberty. But I got no more answers on what they are because they haven't written the stories yet. 
Well, not the goth band, the Sisters of Liberty. No, I'm thinking Sisters of Mercy. Very similar, I think. I think that's on their on their on their on their Saturday nights. Yeah. Oh bloody hell! So that's so Peggy Carter. They sort of grew into something bigger. That's yeah. That, I think when admirable. they saw, I think when they saw how brilliant Haley Atwell is as an actress, um, I think they they really saw they had something there, and and they were looking for more more more, more TV stuff to do and. Uh, it's a really great little series that Agent Carter one. I, I have to check that. I haven't watched any of the Marvel series apart from the Netflix ones. I might have to check these. Um, out. Actual Jarvis is in it. Oh, what Butler played by the same actor? No, no. Uh, Howard Stark apparently has like a secret manservant called Jarvis, who is secretly an agent of something or other. <laughs> A secret man yeah. servant. What he just changes? He, he refills your drinks, but you don't see him. No, <laughs> well, sorry. how did this happen? He's sorry, not, it's he, my secret man servant. <laughs> he, no, he's not a secret. Sorry, he's a man servant who is secretly like a secret agent. He's the, the secret part. Oh, of him, not secretly. Like the the butlering <laughs> bit isn't the secret part of his job. I mispronounced that. That's fine. I I I, I found the sentence funny. <laughs> okay, so. We covered Peggy Carter. So back to Germany. Schmidt and Nazi scientist Dr. Arnim Zoller harness the power of the Tesseract. They plan to use, they plan to power Zoller's inventions and win the war, not for not for the Nazis, but for Hydra. So you had. Can to- you do? Can you? Can you do the Hydra salute? I, I'm allowed to do the Hydra salute. Uh, my other half's yeah. German. I'm it's allowed both, to do the Hydra. Both arms. Yeah, both arms. <laughs> Actually, I I think I might get onto this now uh, before we get on get on to explaining it. Uh, I I used to be a, a bit of a musician back in the day, and I was in a few bands. And one of my last band I was in uh, called Inside the Circle, who changed their name to Wicked Circle after I left. No, no, no not a consequence. We used to do a song called uh, Hell Hydra. Ah, yeah. And did the, you did you have to do the the thing where every time they said Hell Hydra, did you have to throw both that, arms in the air? No, because then I couldn't play my bass. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay, but we did the, the, the uh, we just shouted "Hail, Hail, Hail Hydra" really loudly during the chorus, and it was just it was a nice little song to play. But they're just listen, they're sci-fi Nazis, <laughs> sci-fi Nazis. All you people with your Hydra T-shirts, y'all need to calm down. <laughs> These are straight-up white supremacist sci-fi Nazis. Just it's just it's shit a step the fandom up. elsewhere. <laughs> It's a step above liking Richard Spencer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's fun seeing that the 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 because real fans, real fan, not real fans. I shouldn't say that. We haven't had our no gatekeeping, have we? No, we uh, forgot about the no gatekeeping policy. The single policy. And I just said real fans. That was a slip of the tongue. I apologise. Well, you called me a muggler. Old crusty <laughs> men like me will know that the tesseract is. Actually, something in the comic books called the Cosmic Cube, which is deeply associated with um, uh, Zola and yep. um, the Red Skull. Um, and Arn- Arnim, Arnim, see, for me, my entire life, I've called him Armin, Armin Zola. That, but the letter's the wrong way around. It's Arnim Zola. Can you tell? Arnim I have dyslexia. Zola. Um, Arnim <laughs> Zola is oh can you um do me another favor can you yeah. google arnim zola for me please because you've got to see this guy he's a glorious one of jack kirby's glorious creations from the mid 70s 
Oh, it, I, um, I spelled Arnim wrong. I really wish he had a simple name. Arnim Zola. Wait a bit. Why is it Krang from 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 Turtles? What's happening? So, why is he? Why is he ahead? So Arnim Zola is a Nazi <laughs> scientist um, who survives the war by transferring his mind into a series of robots and computers and things. And his body there is. He's got a, a camera, a robot body with a camera instead of a head, and his face yeah. on a big screen on the robot's chest. It See, is awesome 70s fun. That's Krang um, from Teenage... Very... That's Krang. Well, that's who they ripped off, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't tell me 1990s Krang uh, was ripped off by Jack Kirby in the 70s. <laughs> I won't have it. Um, so, uh, Zola is a Nazi scientist who rises to favour... By um, helping Hitler escape death with a clone body. Sidebar, in the Marvel comics, Hitler is alive and well. And a supervillain called the Hate Monger. This never gets mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) He has a a purple KKK costume with a big H for hate on it. He fights the Fantastic Four. He gets trapped inside the Cosmic Cube. And then Hitler, yes that's right, we're talking about Hitler becomes a poltergeist that can possess people and make them evil. That's Marvel Hitler. Oh my god, anyway. this is wonderful. <laughs> this is, I say, back, back I to say Captain America movie. <laughs> back to the Captain... Oh no, he go down a massive <laughs> hole with this. So, Arnim Zola, yeah, as we said, character of the comic book. So, what else can you tell us about Hydra, though? I mean, they are just science Nazis, as you said. <laughs> Hydra are one of the most fun aspects and, and, and most used aspects of Marvel, especially mm. uh, when you get into the, se- the, the 70s. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they were created by Stanley and Jack Kirby in the mid-60s, um, and they were this organisation um, that kind of ping-ponged between... They've had so many retcons. They were like an evil continuation uh, of the Nazis, only with green and yellow costumes and ray guns, basically. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. There yeah. were constant foes of Captain America and, and mainly, mainly of Nick Fury. When they launched Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, in the mid sixties, um, and as that went on, the Fury comics, especially, have some incredible spy adventures penned by Jim Steranko, who's a gorgeous artist and, and really, really great writer. They were later retconned into being a group that the Red Skull created while he was. Still in the Nazis is, a, is like a separate wing, and and then mm. which is kind of what we see here, and then they were retconned even more into being an ancient cult that existed since Egyptian times oh, and were God. founded by immortal beings. Terrible retcon, if you ask me. Absolutely Ter- terrible. Um, they're kind of a lot. Uh, yeah, I really don't like to say fun when I'm talking about space science Nazis, but. They were a lot more fun when they were just science Nazis. Um, I was literally just about to say those words. Like, hey, they were a lot more fun when they were Nazis. I can't believe I'm about to say that sentence. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They've so, split I, several times over the years. Sorry? Yeah. I was just about to say, I, I love games, films, anything where the Nazis are the bad guys because you don't, there is no kind of like, oh, we got to think about this because it might offend someone. It's like, no, they're Nazis. They're bad guys. There is no, like, different ideology at play. It's, it, they are the bad guys. 
I don't know, brother. <laughs> you try that in the modern world. You put Nazis... Marvel put Nazis and Hydra and things in, in stuff, and they get an angry response from readers saying, stop trying to be political. Um, it's a oh, weird God. world. Let's not get into it. Um, so Hydra yeah. have split over the years um, into other villain groups like the Secret Empire. Um, they're not very secret. And do you know why? Why? Because they have the word Secret Empire in their name. Uh, again, just call yourself Woolworths. Yes. No one will catch you. It'll be fine. Um, and one of the other splinters of them is a group. They they look like evil beekeepers. They're called AIM. A I M. Advanced Idea Mechanics. Not AOL Instant have, Messenger. <laughs> they have all yellow bodysuits with literal like yellow beekeeper mesh helmets mm. on. Do you remember our friend Modoc? The giant baby guy. Oh, <laughs> he was a giant, I vaguely. He was a giant, like, massive head with mental organism designed only for killing. He 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 was a uh, he was one of Ames' creations, um, and they're all like split off from Hydra, and they've done all sorts of stuff over the years. Hydra have, including at one stage, they conquered America. All well, well, hmm, when to do that? When to do that? That we'll do that as we do because we'll do more Hydra, of course. Of course, we'll do more Hydra. There's more Hydra to come. We'll do that when we do we do more Hydra. And so, as we get into um, Winter Soldier, there's a lot more Hydra there, isn't there? Yeah, but I I, I really want to know about this now because that's incredible. then you'll have to tune in to the Winter Soldier episode uh, to find okay. out how, how Hydra conquered America. <laughs> you, you big tease. Okay. Enough of Hydra. Let's get back to uh, Steve. So Steve undergoes the super soldier treatment and emerges from the experiment taller and more muscular. But an undercover assassin kills Erxene and flees with a vial of the super soldier serum. Using his new athletic body, Steve chases down the assassin, but the Nazi avoids interrogation by committing suicide. How the hell did he get that submarine in the harbour without anyone noticing? Such an advanced little submarine for the 40s. Well, you say that, but the, what kind of weapons have Hydra got, man? I know, but someone... They've got, must... these, they've got Armin Zola making, making secret Hitler bodies. <laughs> I know, but it, can... it, 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 just, it just seemed ridiculous. Like, oh, so, so there's some guy emerging from a thing, like... You don't work here. Why? Why is there that submarine? I don't know. I'm getting too much into it. But- there, there are historical instances of Nazi U-boats being in, in, in and near harbors during the 40s. No way. Um, they they got they got that close sometimes. Yeah, I mean, when you you sneak through a barricade and you can go as close as you want. Um, and it cropped up a hell of a lot in 1940s storytelling that uh, the the Nazis Nazi submarines and U-boats would. Um, would get that close, especially to New York and things yeah. like that. Yeah, so it's a big part of uh, Cap blowing up U-boats in New York. Oh yeah, they were, they were, I mean, you can, uh, the German U-boats back in the day were top-notch equipment. If if this was a podcast where we play background music, this would be the point where we play the theme to Daz Boot. <laughs> we are not that podcast. We yeah, don't look- have the money. <laughs> Yeah, and as soon as we do, we're going back all the old episodes and putting in sound effects and music. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rob, he almost stole the super soldier serum. I mean, obviously it's important they're going to make their own uh, Captain 
or uh, Reich Führer Deutschland. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what the equivalent would yeah. be. Yeah. In the comics, several characters have had have had versions of the Super Soldier Serum over the years. Um, so an early an early version of the serum was given to a British prisoner of war um, who went on to become Britain's Super Soldier Union Jack. Yeah. Um, and was a part of a super team with Cap uh, called the Invaders, which is a weird name to give to the good guys, but that's what they were called. Mm. Um, I guess because they were invading <laughs> Nazi Germany. It just seemed like a weird name to give the good guys. Um, yeah, the the Invaders <laughs> were um, Captain America, uh, Bucky, Namor the Submariner, the Human Torch, Union Jack, and mm. Spitfire, who was another British superhero. Um, of course. And there were some others as well over the years. Sorry? I was like, of course, of course there's a British superhero called Spitfire. Spitfire and Union Jack, yeah. The Nazis made a knockoff version of the Super Soldier Serum, which went on to create essentially what you just talked about there. Their version was a more powerful version of Captain America called Masterman. Um, it's important to know that in in yeah, Master Man, as in Master Race and all that, he is the Master oh, right. Man. So in the comics, um, the Red Skull does not have a version of the Super Soldier Serum. Right. The Red Skull is a dude. Hello, I am really evil. I I bomb things and I kill people. That's my power. Um, so yeah. Um, so, so, so wait a minute. Not, it, the Red Skull's superpower is being evil for a Nazi. <laughs> That's a semo. He's more, yeah. When we, we'll, we'll chat about him shortly, but he's meant to be worse than Hitler. Who, by the way, let's not forget, is alive and well in the Marvel Universe, and he's a poltergeist, <laughs> and he can invade your body. Um, you, th- so you think after he, all uh, that, he just, he just lay low in Argentina like the rest of them? Oh, <laughs> gosh, that's exactly what I'd do. Oh, uh, the, the Russians steal a version of the Super Soldier Serum, and that ends up being what they give to the Black Widow years oh, later. Oh, there um, you go. And then, and then you know, the after the, the we we talked about how it, the the process kind of just gets completely transformed and becomes the the Weapon Plus program, which ends up being Weapon Weapon X with Wolverine. Uh, the only other thing is that um, so originally in the forties when they show the Super Soldier Serum. They they show him getting injected, and we see that in this. But you don't see needle like there are needles, but they're all covered up, aren't they? Yeah, they're essentially like big pads, like metal, almost like metal pads. Yeah. Uh, when they retell his in the comics, it's nothing like that. It's just like needles going into the arm. Um, mm. But when they retell the origin in the sixties and beyond, um, there's something called the comic code. Um, the comic book code authority has come about, and they take a very dim view to depicting intravenous drugs being taken <laughs> even if yeah. it is to make you a superhero so injections were completely out and from the 60s on uh, they kind of retconned it so anytime you see cap's origin he's basically drinking a magic potion he's like glug 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 <laughs> ah um yeah wow that's the super soldier serum for you that, that's the super soldier serum uh don't say it really fast kids you'll break your neck so with Erskine dead and his formula lost, there is no hope for an army of super soldiers. On his own, Steve is seen as useless to the army. Instead, 
he's sent to tour the nation in a colourful costume, putting on shows as Captain America, raising morale and selling war bonds. So this is the thing. This is what I saw him as in the comic. He was, this is how he was. This is breaking the fourth wall for me because this is how he, he was. This is what he was an icon to sell patriotism. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, this is how he is to the outside. What, what do you mean this is how he is? This is not how he is in the comics, though. I mean, seen but, as, as yeah. in our world. In our world, he is seen as an obvious patriotic yeah. Yeah. icon. So in, in, it's completely different in the comics. Um, in the comics, they, they take the view that a guy w- with this kind of strength and speed and ability is probably a, a, a very useful person to have around. <laughs> and so yeah. they train him and turn him into an elite soldier and immediately send him out on missions. And, and he's Captain America from the get-go. But this is the MCU... So it's time to have lots of meetings and hand wringing <laughs> and oh god, how can we possibly have someone wear a costume? Oh god, oh, we're doing a superhero. Oh, but how can we come up with a way to explain why he wears a costume? Just put him in a costume as a superhero. So they have to come up with this elaborate reason <laughs> for why See- he's wearing this bright garish costume. You hate that, but what, what I love about the MCU is the endless admin that comes in their films. <laughs> the endless admin that explains how simple things are done and why it's I so I tell slow. you, this, this must have been 15 meetings before they get here. Yeah. 15 meetings with the director, the writer, with Kevin Feige, with they probably bring in a bunch of guys from Marvel and it's like... The Marvel guy's like, well, just he's not want to just wear a costume and be patriotic. No, there's got to be a reason, elaborate reason. Um, I will say, so yeah, I will say I'm on their side because when I f- heard about the Captain America film being called out, I was like, oh come on, you're not going to get away with it in this day and age. <laughs> this isn't the forties. <laughs> what, si- what I quite yeah. love about him in the comics is that he hasn't the, the, the costume is the costume still. And he wears... I don't like when they try and mod, m- modify it and make it modern and make it something an, a rational human would wear. I don't... I, that's not why I buy comics. <laughs> and I just like that he wears this bright blue thing with... It's even... Because he's got... Well into the day, he has these little white wings on his head. And he's like, yeah, that's what I wear. Look at me. You got a problem? Let's hear it. I quite like that. Um, but yeah, this this is this is obviously a nod, a huge nod to the... To the the propaganda tool that he was in the 40s. What's the big yeah. thing he does in his stage show every night? Punches Hitler in the face. He punches Hitler in the face. They recreate the the you know the cover of issue one. Um, and I think what's what's interesting is that during this this kind of production thing, Steve talked to the audience directly in his show. And weirdly, and you talk about breaking the fourth wall in the movie, in the comic in the 40s, Captain America does that all the time he talks and looks directly at the reader and talks to them and that is very very deeply in common in comic books especially back then but cat would would like finish a story and then turn around and be like hey kids be on the lookout for your unpatriotic neighbors tell a policeman (laughs) it's really yeah he he broke the fourth wall loads i mean jack kirby's um artwork in the 40s is an absolute revolution he literally has Cap jump from one panel 
into the next panel. <laughs> like breaking the confines of the story completely. Literally breaking the fourth wall. It's incredibly kinetic and, and exciting. Um, so yeah, that, but it, it is, it, it, that's a bit that needs to service the plot, but it is, as you said, is a real nod to to the big propaganda tool he was. Yeah, I, I liked that because for me, cause even someone who isn't so into Captain America, I, I, I see him immediately as a propaganda tool and that was the nod I wanted when I saw this film. I was like, yep, yeah, good. They're, they're, they're not delusional. <laughs> the kind of weird thing to me is that because of my overexposure to the character, mm. like, I don't even think of him. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can, if I, I have to work hard to see him through a muggle's eyes. Yeah. And I... I can kind of see that it would be to me. It's just the name of that superhero that has. It's not like he goes around um, talking about America all the time or doing anything to do with patriotism. He's fighting spies and and like wars and and robots and aliens and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like the name yeah. is almost completely incidental to the character that 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 you read about a lot. So. I have to keep reminding myself that to an outside observer, oh yeah, he he looks like a giant flag waving. He looks weird. He, he looks like if the American flag was a person, and I think that's what they were going for. That's what, yeah, they, yeah that's what they were going for. So I like that. I like that. So and and I like this aspect that he is going on tour, uh, even even with this, for the soldiers. And while on tour on Italy, performing for the servicemen. Uh, Steve learns that Bucky's unit has gone missing after a battle against Schmidt's forces. Refusing to believe his friend is dead, Steve has Peggy and Howard Stark fly him behind enemy lines to mount a solo rescue mission. Steve infiltrates a Hydra fortress, freeing Bucky and the other prisoners. Schmidt confronts Steve, revealing his disfigured red skull. Schmidt escapes. Ba ba bum. Ba ba bum. Steve is no, sorry. Schmidt escapes, and Steve leaves the freed soldiers back to camp. Oh yes, so that was quite quite a good moment. Obviously, I like the fact Howard Stark sticking around and helping them because <laughs> he doesn't need he's to sticking do that. around to bang Peggy. That's the only reason he's here. Fondue. They've got a fondue, aren't they? That's what they said in the film. But yes, uh, oh yeah. But that was the thing. Like, uh, uh, and I love Hugo Weaving in this. By the way, I mean Hugo Weaving's one of those actors who's an absolute pleasure to turn up. I mean, even if go 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 back to the beginning of his career when you see Priscilla's Queen of the Desert, fantastic in that. Uh, Here, I mean, he plays bad guys so well ever since The Matrix. And here you have Red Skull, and it's like this feels like yeah. He, he, I I couldn't imagine many people playing this role because he's got the face for it. He got the he's got that, he's got a high cheekbone face that makes you think yeah there's a there's a skull under that face but then again don't we all have we all got skulls under our faces haven't we all got skulls under our faces that is an excellent pull quote <laughs> that I think we should uh, always remember um, bizarrely yeah. it's just, you know you talk about how well um, Hugo Weaving plays the character. Um, in, in this movie, and he does, and it's, it's a, a joy seeing him uh, a little bit later on down our down our journey. Um, you can't really imagine anyone else playing the the, the role, although there was a um, there is another um, <clears throat> Captain America movie yeah. uh, where I believe he's Italian. 
Red Skull is Italian instead of <laughs> instead of German. Instead of a Nazi, mm. he's Italian. Uh, and he's played by a guy who's just like one of the guys. He's been in Tinner and Hooch. He was in Teen Wolf. <laughs> and he only plays he, he plays Red Skull. So it really is a testament to how great some of these actors are to take and elevate some of these roles. And maybe one day we'll be lucky enough, after we, now we've done this, to cover... <laughs> That 1990 uh, Captain America movie. Uh, I really want JD, to. With J.D. Salinger's grandson in the title role. <laughs> That's real. That's a real thing that happened. Um, it's oh. Matt, Matt Salinger is... Uh, yeah. Oh no, it's not just sorry, it's JD Salinger's son anyway. Um, son. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean that's even better. So the, he upgraded him. The red the red the red skull, there's an insane story about the origin of Red Skull, which I think is just Joe Simon screwing with people. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard to tell. So okay. the story goes that Joe Joe Simon, legendary writer and artist, saw a hot fudge Sunday melting <laughs> and noticed Come on, Will, stay with us. Notice no, that the hot foot, the melting hot fudge sundae resembled a human. Inspired, Joe Simon at first considered <laughs> calling his new villain Hot Fudge. No! However, 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 he then saw the cherry on top of the sundae and he said it looked like an exposed red skull, so he <sighs> went with that instead. Uh, I'm not I mean, saying I believe that story. There's there's three people um, who who claim to have created the Red Skull. Um, Joe Simon says he did it. Jack Kirby says it was him, and then Stan Lee said it was another um, writer called uh, Franz Edward Heron, and that's appropriate because there's dozens of different Red Skulls and imposters. <laughs> so I think it's quite apropos that we can't quite work out who the real creator is either. Um, the first, the first Red Skull that appears in Captain America is not Johann Schmidt. Right. He's just a bank robber wearing a red mask whose Ugh. mission is to steal enough money to overthrow the government. That's a dream. His mission is to steal <laughs> enough money to overthrow the government. Um, and then a couple of issues later, we get the proper Red Skull, the Nazi one, mm. who... Just says at the side of his mouth in one panel. Oh, and by the way, that other guy wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just <laughs> you just have to carry on. Um, and that that's, that's kind of that's the main, a lazy the main dude. That is a- yeah. Well, retcon didn't. That's not a retcon. That's not a retcon. There's oh. no retroactive continuity being cleaned. Up. There's no continuity being cleaned up retroactively. Uh, He's one person saying, "No, no, no, that guy was an imposter." Like that happens in Poirot all the time. <laughs> oh, sorry, not, Poirot's not doing like retcons. <laughs> it's just you find out a different thing about the story. It's anyway. Not... Anyway, I was about to say that's not a retcon. That's yet again an Arnon Tanzarian moment. <laughs> <laughs> nearly, very nearly. Um, so the Red Skull is a a, um, a huge part of the Nazis' terror campaign in the forties. Um, mm. In the comics, not for real. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't something they used, um, and in 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 the Marvel comic universe, because of the Red Skull being so uh, showing up everywhere and spreading fear, that the the U.S. government decides they need to create something like Captain America. So it's like an ideological battle. Hmm. The reason behind the costume is because the Nazis have this 
literal horror movie figure <laughs> with a red skull killing things and blowing stuff up and they go well we need something that's kind of bright and happy and and ideologically opposed to that so what about captain america yeah um in the timely comic skull is hitler's right hand man um and he's evil and, and that's kind of about it that's that really is it and there's a lot of those kind of in 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 the forties. There's a lot of those Nazi villains that don't, aren't very fleshed out. They're just Nazis. They kill things. There you go. Go and punch them. I mean, that's Red Skull. <clears throat> He's not too fleshed out here. He's literally just an evil Nazi. Sorry, that's an that's a tautological statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it kind of does reflect that. You, you are you are sort of right. I mean, in the, in the Marvel age, we learned that Red Skull was personally trained by Hitler, which makes me think of like the rocky training sequence but with hitler playing <laughs> playing the role of mick the trainer get up snow get You're up an snow animal. You're head. an animal red skull hit him hit him again <laughs> <laughs> just jogging just like on a little bicycle riding alongside the red skull you got to run faster you bum <laughs> it's not eye of the tiger it's uh, the eye of the fuhrer <laughs> <laughs> there's this there's this weird story in the comics that is a little boy Johann Schmidt was a bellhop at a hotel. Uh, like Hit- Hitler's staying there, and and Hitler's like chastising one of his employees. He's like, uh, he's just giving him a real dressing down, like a manager. And he's like, you're rubbish, you are. I-, I bet I could make a better Nazi out of um, that little child over there, <laughs> and and points at Johann Schmidt, and then does what he just said. So he's like, oh, oh, right, then. right, you're fired. He's no, don't need you. Get out of the Nazi party. I've got this eight-year-old boy now. He's doing your job instead of you. That's it's like a whole marketing. It's a whole management management tactic. I I, I think that's almost almost like Steven Seagal's origin story as well. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, Steven Seagal's uh, Steven Seagal was never an actor. Steven Seagal was picked by a Hollywood producer who had a bet with a friend that he could make anyone an actor. That's so weird. Yeah, and I, I, that's the first thing that came to mind was ah, Steven Seagal. <laughs> right, remind me of this when we do the Howling Commandos next. Yeah, I will remind you of that. So um, because I'm, it's the, yeah. it's similar. So so the um, so yeah during during the um, during the war in the, in the New Marvel Age during when, the war sort of tell they tell Skull's kind of history. Mm. He ends up killing off Hitler's allies and isolating Hitler. So Hitler can't control the Red Skull anymore. Yeah. And the Skull is basically taking over the Nazi party. And depending on when you're reading it, he's infecting the party with Hydra, waiting for the right time to kind of do away with, with it all and, and take over. At the end of the war, he gets um, trapped in a bunker and exposed to experimental gas, <laughs> uh, which makes him fall asleep until the 1960s. Oh, God. Which that. is just really convenient because he wakes up just as soon as Captain America's waking up. It's like bloody. And, it's like Demolition Man. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, yeah. During. Well, the time he was asleep, there was a whole bunch of impersonators and sleeper agents that got activated and used his name to carry out terrorist plots, including one who was responsible for killing Peter Parker's parents. Oh, wow. Um, although I don't know if that holds up anymore because. Peter Parker's parents can't have been killed in the 1950s anymore because Peter Parker can't be that old, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Shifting timeline. We've discussed it before. We've discussed um, 
Red Skull returns to, to 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 play Cap, you know, dozens of times. He's um, he has the, the 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 cosmic cube or the tesseract, which lets him warp reality a few times. He's died and come back. Most famously, we say he, we said he doesn't have the super soldier serum. Mm. That's something that's in the in the movie, but not in the comic. He uh, dies and then is resurrected by Zola in a clone body of Captain America. Oh. So he looks exactly the same as Captain America. Wow. Um, and has all his all, all those powers and stuff. He infiltrates the government and is Secretary of Defense for a while. Um, and he he orchestrated this this really grand scheme um, that manipulated during the Civil War. Hmm. Right at the tail end of it, he organizes all of Cap's major villains to take advantage of this Civil War, this unrest, all the heroes' attention being on each other and not the villains. And he manipulate Sharon Carter Cap's girlfriend into murdering Captain America and then has his own puppet politician nearly elected president more than any other Marvel villain Red Skull is a master master planner and schemer he's got vast resources and a network of supporters um, and it seems like everyone loves Nazis as we start to learn a lot more in the grim world we find ourselves in. <laughs> like, he's oh. never short of a supporter. He's never sort of someone with a lot of money to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, go white people. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Red School. That is Red School. So... <laughs> uh, after this, after this, after we get introduced to Red Skull's Red Skull, so Rogers recruits Barnes, Dum Dum Dugan... Gabe Jones, Jim Morita, Morita, James Montgomery. Sure, we'll go with that. We've, we've got all the names wrong so far. James Montgomery, Falsworth, and Jack Dernier to attack other known Hydra bases. Out, Rob. I, I, I knew, I knew right away that these must be the Howling Commandos that you've mentioned before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Howling Commandos. Um... I, we we just talked about bets, <laughs> so uh, in 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 this nineteen sixty three, there was apparently a bet between the publisher of Marvel Comics, Marty Goodman, hmm. and he he was so enamoured with Stanley and Jack Kirby being able to turn everything they wrote was a hit. Yeah, every comic they made was a hit, and so he said. I bet you can make a hit comic out of the most ridiculous title I can come up with. <laughs> and the most ridiculous title he can come up with for a comic was Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. <laughs> and he said, go on then, make that a hit. And they did. Excellent. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it was it, the, the comic was just, it was a 60s comic, but it was about the Second World War. Uh, Nick Fury is this kind of tough, cigar-chomping sergeant yelling at a bunch of really oddball GIs who are all a bit quirky and a bit funny, and they're all from a different nation. Yeah, I noticed that there's right a, away. Yeah, there's a, a British one, and, and, and then there's an Asian one, and then there's a, an, a, an American one, and things like that. Um, and it worked. It, it, the, the, the comic ran until the 70s, uh, and then reprints of stories sold well into the 80s. Um, yeah. What is interesting is just looking at the reading that you said there's a Fallsworth in there. There's a false Yes now. This is who I think it is, isn't it? Who do you think it is? It's Union Jack, isn't it? It's Union Jack, yeah. I did not know that because I don't know if, if it if they mention it in the movie, like the name, I I it went right by me. But seeing it written down, yeah. Uh James Monk the the Fallsworth family are the family that become the Union Jacks in uh, the Marvel Universe, Marvel Comic Book Universe, so that's a nice little nod. 
Um, the only, <clears throat> the only um, kind of Howling Commando who, who goes on to have another role in Marvel is Dum is uh, Dum Dum Duggan. Um, he, when Nick Fury uh, gets retooled as a no nonsense spy in Agent of Shield, Dum Dum Duggan joins him uh, and is kind of his agent and partner for for decades. And then when Nick Fury starts running Shield, Duggan's Duggan's with him. He's the only one of the commandos who gets to do more, really. That makes sense. It's like there's too many characters to pick from there. I mean, they work for the situation of the time, I think. And then it's like, okay, maybe we can expand on that one. Great. And Duggan's the one with the little hat. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. A bowler hat, didn't he? Yeah, he's played by an actor you've seen in lots of other stuff. <laughs> wow, that narrows uh, it down. He, he's Damien Dark in the DC Arrowverse kind of... Um, TV TV shows didn't watch any, anyone out there. Didn't watch any DC. Although I was tempted to watch um, the uh, what was it? Hell, Hell, Legends of Tomorrow. No, no. Hell, Hell. No, no. I'm telling you, no, don't. So, I saw a little bit and it looked okay, but not enough. Because I, I re- what's what's his what's his name again? Constantine. Ja- Jack Constantine. 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 Jack Constantine. Yeah, but they've had him played by a Welshman. John. I was like, no, he's a Cockney, isn't he? <clears throat> well, no, he's a, he's a scouser. Oh, that was it. Yeah, he was a scouser. Sorry, I always get the two. Anyway, scousers in London, but this is this is not a. But anyway, anyone out there, if you're thinking of ch- giving any of the DC shows a go, the correct thing to do is watch Legends of Tomorrow from season three onwards. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I think the people in charge stopped stopping them from being mental, <laughs> and they just create a very quirky, very queer. A show about lots of queer heroes. It's brilliant. It's utterly wonderful. That sounds wonderful. That, that sounds good. That's not why we're here. No, no, we, we're on the other side of the fence anyway. So, that's about the Howling Commandos. So, Stark outfits Steve with advanced equipment, most noticeably a circular shield made of vibranium, a rare, nearly indestructible metal. Rogers and his team then sabotage various Hydra operations. Now, Rob... After the Thor episode last week, this is the montage you so desperately craved in Thor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this was or, a nice montage. I mean, <clears throat> we, we also had bits um, earlier on where, where I mean, it was slightly longer than a montage, but when we, we saw, we saw um, why Steve was worthy of, of being the super soldier. We saw that. They showed it to us. Yeah. They, with his they, deeds and his actions. Yeah, but there wasn't right? as many explosions, and there was a massive no, there tank. Weren't, no, there was but a massive what we tank. Saw, but what we saw is that he was smart, mm. resourceful, and brave, and it didn't take that long. Yeah, <laughs> and I just would have liked some of that for Thor, who came across as a space douche. He, he is. He is a bit of a douche, to be honest. With a voice like <clears> this, <throat> uh, no, no, not like that. Also, there are two things I noticed during in this uh, montage. One, there was a huge tank. That seemed like it was getting more into sci-fi. I mean, obviously, Hydra have a lot of lot of uh, good vehicles and equipment and, and, and at their side. But other thing I noticed was Red Skull. The moment he just got rid of his face, he started dressing differently, and his dress sense slowly morphed him to resemble a Cenobite from Hellraiser. I think, yeah, I think that's. I hope that's a nod towards him, like just growing more. Uh, obsessed with the power of the Tesseract. Yeah, but that, that it, would make it, sense. It, it, 
Maybe maybe the Tesseract has let him see into the future and he's watched Hellraiser. <laughs> I watched it, a straight on VHS. Wonderful technology. <laughs> so we've come to the uh we come to the most iconic thing about Captain America. The shield made from vibranium, which is a hilarious name. Uh tell us about the shield, Rob. <clears throat> well, in the comics Captain America issue one, he does not have that shield. Right. Um, okay. If you take a look, as we've urged you to at the front cover of Captain America issue one, he's got a triangular shield. Um, wow. Oh yes. But Marvel, yeah, yeah, little little, little triangular shield, mm. uh, which is a lot more common with shields, really. Yeah. Um, but but Marvel was threatened by a legal action from another comic book company who had a character called the Shield. And the the shield's emblem was literally that shield that Captain America was using. Mm. Um, so they said, "Yeah, got to knock that off." So in issue two, Cap gets this circular shield, <clears throat> and we uh, that we all know and love. Um, it's deflected Hulk's punches, Thor's hammer, and Wolverine's claws with no damage. That is good. Um, it is <clears throat> originally it was just referred to as indestructible metal. <laughs> there was nothing else to it. It's, just, it's unique and indestructible. There's only one of it. They later retconned it into being not just vibranium, but an, an alloy that uses vibranium and other stuff. Not adamantium. <laughs> and vibra- <laughs> is any, Sorry? Is it similar to adamantium? It's it's called proto-adamantium. Ah. Um, it, it is the precursor to adamantium. It is, But it seems to be stronger. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good thing they never said adamantium in the films because that would get everybody's hopes up of an X-Men tie-in. Yeah, I, I always wonder with that stuff. Like, how much do does the ownership extend? Like, does it extend to things like adamantium, which is all over the Marvel Universe? Or, anyway. Um, the, so they, they retconned that Cap Shield is made of, of this kind of vibranium alloy. And they, they had a story where there's some sort of secret mission in the 40s that Cap's a part of, and it, he teams up with the Black Panther's grandfather, and it leads to Wakanda giving a sample of vibranium to the U.S. military, and this marks the the beginning of like a, a good trade relationship between the two countries, and then that that alloy, alloy becomes Cap Shield, and it's been it's not it's been broken a couple of times in the comics. Uh, most recently, it was reforged by. Asgardian blacksmiths. Oh, lovely! Who included Uru metal, which is what Thor's hammer is made of. So Cap Shield is now has elements of vibranium, adamantium, and Uru metal in it, which I think makes it double tough. <laughs> That's just insane. Who broke and, it? And Who there was bro- a, it was, it was a. I'm I'm a bit sketchy on that. I think it got broke. I think it got broke when Cap wasn't Cap when Bucky was Cap, and I can't remember what happened. Um, That's going to be an yeah. awkward story to come back to. Thanks for letting me borrow your shield, but I broke it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Ah. Um, there was there was a period in the nineties where it got it got shattered and broke, and Cap used an like a photon shield that was built into his glove, and it was all cool in nineties, and it was uh, like a shield made of light, basically. Uh. Um, and he could do all sorts of stuff with it. And it was kind of fun, but it wasn't really iconic. He went back to using his um, triangular shield for a while. That was kind of fun. 
Although, and there were some good storytellings of like, he was so used to being able to throw the shield in such a right way that it hit guys, hit guys, bounced off and came back to him. And now with this shield, he throws it at someone and it hits them and he's like, oh, I've thrown my shield away. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'm going to get shot now. That's what you get for <laughs> like trying to, to be Batman. <laughs> yeah, he had to like readjust how he fought because the shield doesn't bounce back to him anymore. Yeah. Um, that was kind of neat storytelling. Yeah, that's the shield. That's, it's, a, it's a good shield. Can't complain about it. So, after getting the shield, in 1945, the team attack a Hydra train carrying Zola. They succeed in capturing Zola, but Bucky falls from the train to his death. Now, Bucky's been pulled. I know! I I mean, falls suggests he tripped. Uh, Yeah, it was. He gets. He gets shot. He does get shot by uh, by some Nazis they stole from the Wolfenstein games. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, full on, are they? they no, they, they, they. It just, it's just with the with the uh, with the steampunk laser guns and whatnot. I was thinking, this the- is Wolfenstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he 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 plummets. He plummets. He falls. He, he, he basically he's, 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 he falls from a train. He does. He falls from a train. You're right down a uh, a huge ravine, never to be seen again, and that's the end of Bucky. <clears throat> right? Yeah, that's the end of Bucky. Right? Why? Why? Why are you glancing around the room nervously, Rob? Well, well, you know, I don't think we've got anyone watching this that hasn't seen the rest. But it'd be a terrible time to ruin other movies, wouldn't it? It would be a uh, terrible turn time off now. Yes. Um, so we're only going to talk about wartime Bucky in this episode. Yeah. Because. We've got. There's no point delving into more when we've got the Winter Soldier to come. Oh, of course. Um, in the timely era, Bucky is just a child sidekick like Robin. Yeah. It's uber weird to look at. Even when I was growing up in the 80s, it was weird to look at. It was cool when I was a kid because I was like, hey, maybe I could be Robin or Bucky. And so it does its job in that respect, but it's super weird. <laughs> um <laughs> Bucky Bucky is um, an orphan. He's orphaned right at the outbreak of war. Um, his dad was on the camp and he gets killed. And so he just becomes like the camp mascot. He he is somehow allowed to live there. <laughs> and yeah. he works for the US military. Like, does the pots and pans. Like, does laundry for them. No, no, like... No concerns about child labour laws whatsoever from the US military. Doesn't right. have any parents. Dentured servants. Um, he befriends um, bumbling Private Rogers. And I, I'm the way he discovers his secret identity is that he just bursts into his tent one night and sees him putting on Captain America's costume. And that leads to him becoming a sidekick. That was how it worked in the in the forties. To be fair, Steve Rogers had one or two options there: uh, murder yeah. an eight-year-old, or a <laughs> ten-year-old, or make him your sidekick. Um, so he he went with uh, maybe the better option. Um, it's a good thing Colonel Phillips wasn't walking past at that time. Why why are you undressing with an eight-year-old in your tent? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have any parents. Leave it. Um, <laughs> During the war, he's part of what is considered to be the first super team, the first teaming up of more than more than like of different characters from the same kind of comic book company. Yeah, 
it was it was a, a team called the Young Allies. So the Human Torch had a sidekick who had super flaming powers called Toro. Toro and Bucky teamed up along with a bunch of like normal kids, like the Famous Five, basically. <laughs> the Famous Five, but with Bucky and the Human to- and, and Toro, and they were called the Young Allies. Um, and that seems to be the that looks to be the very first team of super superheroes in in comic book history. It's almost like Teen um, Titans, Teen Titans from from DC. It, well, yes, dear, it does. Yeah, but that's uh, not, sorry, sorry, don't mean to be patronising. Yes, yeah, uh, it's more accurate to say the Teen Titans were a bit like this. Yeah, because the Teen Titans comes about uh, in the sixties, um, the swinging sixties, baby. Around the time we're doing. You know, Fantastic Four and and Cap gets out of the ice. We kind of get the Teen Titans, yeah. Mm. Um, and it's uh, a bizarre combination of these weird Enid Blyton characters and two superheroes. And in one issue, they collectively beat the crap out of Hitler and Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, Mussolini become a supervillain? Well, he's one of the uh, yeah. I mean. Oh. The, the, Hitler and Mussolini probably make as many appearances as the Red Skull. That's brilliant. Uh, because that's what the... I mean, collectively, if you look at issues of Batman and Superman that were on at the time and Flash, all these characters that were taking part in the war, they're always going around and, and trying to fight off Hitler and Mussolini and stuff. No, any appearances of Churchill? No Churchill or Stalin? Uh no, you don't think it, you get you do get Churchill, you get Roosevelt. Roosevelt's the guy that presents Captain America with his circular shield. Oh, lovely! Um, all these figures crop up in in the war, yeah, big time. By 1948, um, Timely Comics seems to decide they want to get rid of Bucky. Mm. Uh, it's not so when we when we get to the mid to late 50s, a book comes out called The Seduction of the Innocent, which posits that these sidekicks are. Um, Gross and offensive, and kind of maybe pedophilic and homophobic, homo, homo homosexual, and things. And mm. so there was a lot of scrambling in the fifties to do away with child superheroes. This is a nearly ten years before that, so I think it's quite interesting that someone at Timely goes, "It's weird, get rid of him." <laughs> and so they, Bucky gets shot, and he gets shipped off back to America, and they make Cap's girlfriend uh, his new sidekick, and Bucky is not seen again. Oh. And then in the, in the modern era, uh, Cap wakes up, he recalls his final mission, and he recalls uh, Bucky being killed by Baron Zemo. He's really haunted by this death and by the grief of it all. Um, and, uh, yeah, and in all the years of heroes and villains dying and coming back to life, fans and writers joked for decades about the Bucky Clause. And the Bucky Clause says... No one stays dead except Bucky, Jason Todd, and Uncle Ben. And in about a two-year time period, that Bucky claw got reduced to just Uncle Ben. Yeah, I don't think anybody's got the guts to to, uh, to get Uncle Ben back because it would just undo Spider. Well, not undo Spider Man. It would just be like. Actually, would it? Would it? Would it be bad if they brought back Uncle Ben? Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I mean, you, you, I can't imagine a, a, a storyline that would be compelling enough. I mean, it's not Spider-Man's only only tragedy, mm. um, but um, what what would it what would it do to his lesson? It would it would, would just it teach him with great power. It, comes, it would, yeah, 
it would kind of it would kind of take the pain out of out of the great lesson that upholds his life. I mean, he he could anyway. This is not we're not we're not we're not that podcast. We're we're not gatekeepering life and death. <laughs> it, it would be it would be a very it would be a very weird decision to make. Yeah. I'm sure they've done it with you know alternate versions from a parallel universe and stuff. Oh yeah, um, but it 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 uh, you can't mess with Spider Man's the linchpin of the entire Marvel universe. You don't want to mess with that. No, no, not at all. So, Bucky, that's I did not know anything. I, I didn't know any about that about Bucky. So coming up to the end of the film now. So using information extracted from Zola, Steve leads an attack to stop the Red Skull from using the Tesseract weapons on America. Steve fights the Red Skull on board his airship, during which the Tesseract's container is damaged. <coughs> Skull physically handles the Tesseract, which opens a wormhole and sucks him in. The Tesseract burns through the plane and is lost in the ocean. Seeing no way to land the plane without risk of detonating its weapons, Steve makes an emotional farewell to Peggy and then crashes the plane in the Arctic. Howard Stark... Oh, I know, it's sad. Howard Stark... It really is. That, it, that farewell it, message is really great. Yeah, they, they, they got it just right there, without it being too uh, corny or cheesy. Howard Stark later recovers the Tesseract from the ocean floor, but is unable to locate Rogers or the aircraft, and the world presumes him to be dead. So that's how he gets frozen, essentially. Is that how he gets frozen in the comics? Uh, n- 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 not well, not really. It, it, so, <sighs> okay. So here's where it gets weird. <laughs> so the war ends. Captain America does not go into the ice. He leaves the army, becomes a school teacher, and in his private time fights bank robbers. And it sucks. <laughs> and the comic gets cancelled. And then in the 50s, they bring him back. Cap and Bucky. And they go out beating up commies. And it sucks. And it gets cancelled after three issues. And they mothball Captain America and they forget about him. There's no need to write an ending for him. They just stop making the comic, right? Yeah. The end. And then in 63, in um, an issue of Strange Tales starring Just a Human Torch, written by Stan Lee, Human Torch teams up with like a weird circus performer called Captain America. But then that's discovered by the end of the issue to be an impersonator trying to rob people. Mm. But at the end, Stan Lee includes a little like text box that says, well, that was a bit of fun. But what do you think, folks? Would you like to see Captain America come back? <laughs> and apparently that caught enough interest for them to revisit the real character. Um, the next year in the, the, the fourth issue of the Avengers, after the Avengers have formed and had a few issues, they find... When they're in their Avengers submarine, which they have for some reason, they they find in the Arctic Circle uh, a, a frozen a body frozen in a huge chunk of ice, mm. and it's still alive. Ooh. And they recognise it as Captain America. And when they revive him and he wakes up, he 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 talks about what happened, and he says that it's the end of the end of the war. He was now in a, a big fight with Baron Zemo, and there was this. Um, Missile that Baron Zemo was firing at Washington DC. Mm. Cap and Bucky are on the missile to try and disarm it. Um, and they disarm it, and Cap says, Why? Okay, it's disarmed. We've got to jump off now. It's not going to. They haven't disarmed it. They've, they've disabled its navigation unit. 
And Cap says, we've got to jump off now. So he jumps off the missile, and Bucky's like sleeve is caught. Oh, so no. as Cap falls to the o- falls to the Arctic Ocean, he sees the missile explode over the Arctic, killing Bucky. And Cap plunges into the water, and and there's a modern belief that the Super Soldier Serum kind of interacts with extreme temperatures and puts him into suspended animation for all those years. So then he he joins the Avengers and he tries to adjust to modern life. Which I always think is kind of funny, right? Because yeah, it's a, that's my favorite thing about him in the later films. Yeah, but so that's the huge shock of going from the forties, nineteen forty-five, let's say, to two thousand eleven. But comic book cap, he's only been the ice for fifteen years. <laughs> he wakes up in the mid sixties. It's been fifteen years, mate. Get it together. Not that much has changed. They haven't got proper telly yet. <laughs> oh, what What are you so shocked by? Is it just skirts? Is it just the short skirts? Is that the only thing you're concerned about? I cannot understand what he is so, so shell-shocked about. All your friends will still... Unless they died in the war. Like, everyone's still alive. You can still have a chance of Peg- All of your Peggy. <laughs> Sorry? Still yeah, Peggy's chance. still alive. Yeah. He's not banging his sister. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh... uh, but yeah, so after a little while, Marvel then have to explain all the comics. They don't have to, but they choose to. They decide that you need to explain all the comics at the end of the 40s where he's a school teacher hmm. and fighting bank robbers and all the comics in the 50s where he's this overly violent dude beating up like communists for no reason. Uh, so they, they come up with this idea that those characters were impersonators. That makes um, sense. So, so in the 1950s, we had an, imper- an imposter Captain America fighting an imposter Red Skull um, <laughs> for the rights to absolutely nothing. And then that cap, that 50s cap, because the 50s one is thought to be uber violent and like there was, it was viewed as being weird that he was attacking these people that were communist sympathizers yeah, because that good- had a lot of sympathy in some areas of the world. So they turned 50s cap. Into a different character who who becomes a white supremacist supervillain um, called the Grand Director. Um, <laughs> so like a Doctor Who yeah, villain. It, it really does, especially when I did that voice. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's what helped it. <laughs> so it, it it is it is similar in that it, if you think about what he's trying to do there, he's he's crashing that plane before it can um, go and explode and do some damage to a, a populated city, which is really kind of what what happens. In, in the comics um, I, I do think it's a little interesting as to why they got rid of Bucky early on mm. and didn't have him with Cap all the way through to this ending here um, other than you know you need to you probably need to keep that really nice emotional goodbye and I'm the one that makes this decision and it was perhaps a bit cleaner to ditch Bucky in a gunfight halfway through the movie no, no, no. It, it's 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 just a lot cleaner. It's, it's it's also it's nice that they can come back to that later. I mean, the real fans yeah. will know that what's coming next, but the other everyone else is like going, "Oh, well, that's the end of him." Then, and then when he comes back, it's yeah. going to be like, "Oh my god, I thought you were dead." You know that kind of thing. Yeah, that's going to be. I'd really like to, to to find out what people thought about that, and we'll hopefully be able to touch upon that when we get to Winter Soldier if we've got listeners out there. Yeah. 
So in the last bit of the film, uh, he does wake up. Uh, obviously, he wakes up. But instead, as we said, he wakes up in modern times. But he wakes up in a 1940s-style ho- hospital room. Hearing a radio broadcast of a baseball game that he attended in 1941, Rogers deduces that something is wrong. He races outside and finds himself in present-day Times Square, where Nick Fury informs him that he has been asleep for nearly 70 years. And in a post credit scene, Fury, approach- Fury approaches Rogers and proposes a mission with worldwide ramifications. I mean, obviously, leading to the Avengers. Well, well what, what mission is he proposing there? I thought it was um, what's going to happen in the Avengers. But isn't the Avengers a reaction to an alien invasion? Well, I thought it was to, to protect the world. Okay. It sounds like he's got an actual mission, like, oh, so, uh, in mind. Oh, so like an objective. So nothing- but you might be right. Maybe it's just, uh, here's a few other people. Sit in this room until we need you. <laughs> that's the mission. <laughs> eh, it's an ongoing mission. So that's... Um, Captain America, the first Avenger. Mm. We think, I mean, I I think, um, and I have for, for some time, that it's the strong, I think it's probably the strongest. I, the first Iron Man movie is very good, but I think this um, is, 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 is a really, really great piece of cinema. Oh, totally, um, totally. The, the soundtrack is gorgeous, um, but I think this has, it has, to, for me, Iron Man is very, very action-y and funny. Yeah. And I get that this film isn't particularly funny. It has its moments. But this film is packed full of heart, I think, and emotion. Yeah. What what were your what were your thoughts on, on the movies? How do you think it stacks up I, to I, the ones we've already seen? I, I am gonna have to go I'm gonna have to agree with you. I I, I absolutely love it. It, it's 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 miles ahead of the other films. The other films felt good. They felt like comic book films, but this one it gets. It's the first Marvel film where it does. It does have that really good balance of heart, of action, uh, of emotion, as well as some funny bits. I mean, I, before this, all the funny bits in the Marvel films felt very forced. There was like a force. Oh, we got to put in a quick quip there or a quick physical gag there. Just you know, just to just to keep it keep it light in some places. But there were moments where there were fu- there was funny stuff happening, and it felt it belonged. It felt it organically grew out of the scene. Like uh, when he when he's chasing after the uh, the assassin at the beginning, and they and they, he takes the kid hostage, and then you know he get he he takes the kid off and throws him in the water, and he's like he checks clear the kid's okay, and he goes that's fine, I can swim, go get him. And I was like that's a nice that's, <laughs> that is so good, that's such a great little moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I think it it really stands up, and yet um, I think Incredible Hulk it, we we talked about it being overlooked. I, I genuinely get the impression that people think this film is boring. <laughs> That's what you tend to hear, that people actively don't like this film. Um, I find it hard to believe. I think, uh, I think there's, yeah, I think there's just a lot of, um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark is is very over overwhelming and overpowering. And I think that that probably... Um, People are very much drawn to that, and it overshadows anything else. And I think that's probably what happens is perhaps this film gets overshadowed, really. Um, but then we also want to know, Will, as we yes. think back to uh, everything we've discussed in uh, in this episode from the origins of Captain America, the origins of, of Bucky and the, and the Red Skull, the publication of, of the of the comic, and how it all 
came about. What what do you think? What is your most memorable or favourite bit of trivia that we have uh, explored and delved into on this episode of Marvel vs. Marvel? Oh, there's too much to choose from. I mean... You've got uh, punching commies. You've got the Red Skull trying to <laughs> take over America by stealing enough money. Uh, I'm going to have to go with my gut on this one. And I find it hilarious that in the Marvel Universe, Hitler is alive and well and somehow wearing a purple clan robe. I knew that was going to be it. I really I, did. I knew, knew it was going to be the hate monger. I, I, I find hey, that, yeah. He's not alive and well. He's dead and loving it. He's now the disembodied poltergeist spirit of Hitler. That's the um, <clears throat> yeah. That's <laughs> that is going to be uh, all we've got time for here on this episode of Marvel versus Marvel. We're not done with our journey. We have got uh, more to come in Phase One of the MCU, but we've only got one more to come, haven't we? Oh yes, and we've only got the Avengers to come which will be the next movie that we cover. And we really hope you uh, will rewatch and, and, and join us as we delve into that. And we've got something pretty exciting planned for... And I think we'll perhaps announce this in the next episode, right? Oh, yes, yeah. We've got, we, we put this plan together this week because we knew we were racing up on the end of the first phase of the MCU. We wanted to know what to do next. Once we finish with the Avengers and wrap up phase one, what's next for Marvel versus Marvel We've got a pretty exciting plan, um, and we'll, uh, we're going to be talking about that on the next episode. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's it for this one. Will, thank you for uh, your part of taking us through Captain America, um, and we hope you out there enjoyed all the excellent Marvel trivia that we've dumped on your lap and forced into your brain, and we hope you'll join us next time on Marvel vs. Marvel. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe. And hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel? Our next episode will be The Avengers, so don't forget to re-watch the movie so you can join in. <laughs> <laughs>